Hey, 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 rank Beatles every day. What's going on, you guys? <laughs> oh, that's how we're opening today? That's how I'm starting the show today. I like it, I think. <laughs> What's going on, gang? Welcome to Ranking the Beatles. I am your host, Jonathan. Over here to my left is my wonderful co-host and partner in all cool things, Julia. Hey, y'all. What's going on? Uh, the huge. Yeah. Really, I need to come up with a better answer for you this. You always do the huge. This is, yeah, and you do huge. so much more stuff than you're willing to talk about in a public forum. So I don't know why. Listen, we gotta keep gotta keep the people guessing. Keeping the air of mystery. Yeah. I like I'm, it. I'm the mysterious one. You are. I have no secrets. <laughs> Everything about me is on my social media. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's pretty true. I I am an open book, yeah, as they say. I am not. It's okay. It's okay. You can keep it on the DL. I'm going to. <laughs> You're gonna have to. <laughs> well, uh, so yeah, welcome to episode fourteen. Wow. Yeah, fourteen of these bad boys. Um, I mean, really ten because the first four were just kind of intros and BS. Uh, but yeah, this is cool. Um, hope you guys have been enjoying it so far, having a dang old good time. Um, I'm excited about our guest today. He is an old buddy of mine. Uh, he's a singer-songwriter from here in New Orleans. He's not old. Well, he's, I mean, we've been <laughs> friends for a long time. We've run in circles for many a year. Uh, he's a singer-songwriter from here in New Orleans. Spent several years in the Boston area where he attended the Berkeley School of Music. Fancy and, pants. Yeah. And spent many a year uh, playing in bands up in that region of the country. Ended up back here in New Orleans, where he makes his uh, makes his hay, as they say, as a uh, acoustic singer songwriter. He also moonlights as the guitar player sometimes for Paul Sanchez and the Rolling Road Show, for my big brother Paul Sanchez, um, also a guest on our show. And then he also uh, spends uh, some time supporting international recording artist and The Voice season two contestant Terry McDermott. Another uh, another buddy of ours. Yes. Big Oasis fan. Yes. Much like me. We get along smashingly when it comes to the Gallagher brothers. He's a big fan. He is. He's a big fan. He's he got is. the haircut to go oh, with Oh, man. He's the haircut, uh, the, the attitude. The parkas. The parka. He's got the parkas. The whole nine, dude. Yeah. I love it. You you just like eat it up. You're the just blood like, alcohol content. <laughs> it's, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're talking. It's a special episode. We're talking. It's a two for today. But two relatively short tunes, so it seemed like it would kind of make sense. But we're going to dive into it. I think it's going to be good. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Justin Molison. How you doing? I'm good, Hello, man. Predices. Hello. You got the Predis sandwich coming at you. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. How are you, it's my friend? It's always a good sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> always a good sandwich. <laughs> what are you sipping on today? I see you have a little beverage. I, I actually have an Urban South Rocket Pop. Hard seltzer. How is that Rocket Pop hard seltzer? Quite delicious. Yeah, I've been. If curious you remember to those bo- those uh those bombs, the bomb, bomb pops, pops. The, the bomb pops. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it tastes exactly like that. Oh, nice. Like we a, actually just insane. got the uh, Cabana Boy um, from Urban South. It's like a I have coconut. That too. It's so. Have you had it yet? <laughs> it's so good. If you I like coconut, some... it's perfect. If you don't like coconut, don't have it. Yeah, it because it actually like actually tastes like coconut. It's not like that weird. Like super sweet fake coconut. It's like, just like that. Like having pina coladas and dancing in the rain. Right. That's a different podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like we could slowly work our way towards like an Urban South sponsorship. Seeing as how like behind us is like the Urban South flag, right. and I have a fridge right here filled with beer from Urban South. That's true. Exactly. We're gonna work towards that. Towards yeah. sponsored content. I think you content. ought to. Urban I think South, important. if you're listening, I love I, it. I highly approve. <laughs> We're actually pretty cheap. Just oh, we us, real cheap. Just, just just give us some beer. Throw honestly. me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Justin, um, what the, one of the first things I want to throw your way. This is one kind of the way we usually start things off here mm-hmm. on our little program. Um, let's let's rewind the tape back to baby Justin. How did you first get turned on to the Beatles? What's your first discovery of the Beatles? So the first. I tried to think about this earlier today because I knew this question was going to come up. <laughs> and uh, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, 
what was my first first experience? And sure enough, I remember being, I was living on the West Bank with my folks at the time, and I must have been maybe six years old. Mm-hmm. And my dad put on Rubber Soul. And he just sat there and he goes, you're going to like this. You're going to like this. And I remember sitting there and I remember listening to a couple of the tracks on it. I remember going, man, there's some weird stuff going on with the instruments. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I was like, okay. And then that was cool. And I, I kind of lost track of it. But, you know, one of the good things about my, I can say about my dad is that he always kind of had music going on mm-hmm. in the household. So he'd always have his LPs out and they'd always be throwing on new stuff here and there. And so that was the first one would have been rubber sold. Then I would have probably eventually gotten into Sergeant Pepper. Right. Because I mean, that's like, you know, old Testament as far as you know, the Beatles go, <laughs> Valid. Valid. <laughs> you know, in the beginning there was Sergeant Pepper and then, there, then you're like, Oh crap. There's all the other stuff that was there. I guess it actually and we saw that more it was like good. the gospels than anything else. But that being said, uh, so, um, I got into that. I remember really, really digging on that and mm-hmm. uh, started wanting to learn. That was probably around the time when I had transitioned from playing piano to picking up a guitar. And so that was like one of the first things that I wanted to start learning how to do was play along with the Beatles songs. Mm-hmm. So I think the first track that I learned from them probably was Sgt. Pepper's or with a little help because it was, you know, three chords and, you know. And the truth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Somebody, so, uh, you know, and then, it, you know, as, as it, as it developed, I mean, I mean, those, that's probably the first, the first instance that I can really remember. And, you know, my dad would sit there and go, you got to listen to this one. And then he'd throw a revolver at me. But you know, what I found interesting was that I never got into like the early stuff mm-hmm. until I left New Orleans. Okay. Cause when I went, when I went up to Berkeley, that's when, like, I had a I had a class on John Lennon, and that's when they were like, "You got to listen to this one, and you got to listen to this one, and you got to listen to this one." And I'm going, "Oh crap! There's a bunch of stuff on here that's, you know, true true pop music, but at the same time, so just intricately well written." Mm-hmm. What do they and, what, what do they talk about in a in a class about John Lennon? And how does he drugs. sign up? I know he wants to know. <laughs> Well, I'm curious. I'm curious. Is it like do they talk about drugs? Is it a, <laughs> all the time? No, I'm That's, kidding. Yeah. Uh, they, they, is it uh, historical? Is it composition based? Um, I guess I'm just curious as to what their approach is on it. So he 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 started at the beginning. Uh, John Stevens was the guy that put it on, and he started it with uh, the very first Beatles record, and he picked like three or four songs off the record that were the predominant Lennon tracks. It was a, it was a songwriting study of john lennon not the beatles okay okay okay. so he picked the songs that he he would see like you'd get the percentages he had i'm he'd have like you know for this and i'm trying to remember back but again you know that's a while back (laughs) it's been a while (laughs) but so but he would have percentages of certain songs and he would show he every once in a while he'd show a couple like i think with yesterday he kind of showed that it was like a 90 95 or 96 percent McCartney with like a 5% influence from Lennon. It was just like change this word or something. Mm-hmm. But in any case, it th- that's kind of how he took the approach. So you took it from a standpoint of he, I mean, he, he'd throw up the lyric, the lyric on, on the, on the wall and you'd, you'd analyze kind of the rhyme structure and the scheme that he was going for. He'd talk a little bit about what else was happening during that time frame, in, you know, in the social structure their social structures that were there he talked about some of the influences that were there that were coming in some of the rock influences that were coming very early especially stuff from america that they were getting influenced by he's tried to really pick up on some of that stuff Mm -hmm. and then he would move to doing um an analysis of some of the harmonic structures that made some for some interesting changes and things like that, that really like weren't what you would like your typical pop song, mm-hmm. like hanging on, a, hanging on a flat seven for a long time right. while the, you know, the transition was going. I can't remember which song that was off the top of my head, but there, there, I mean, they do stuff like that. We, we talked about this in another episode um, for PS. I love you where some of the changes in that song are just not in any way what you're expecting from a from a pop song no, in 1960. No. A lot of like 
crazy two fives that they were throwing in early when they you weren't expecting that from like you were expecting that from some of the jazz that was probably mm-hmm. in and around that Germany area at the same time, but it not not actually part of their pop scene. Right. Yeah. So it, it progressed through there, and then we went through all of the Beatles, and then we went through, um, and then it went on to the all of the incantations of Lennon's solo projects Mm -hmm. and uh you know it culminated with a final project was you could write a paper or you could do a sound alike recording of one of his songs so there's a sound alike (laughs) recording of me doing instant karma that's floating around nice berkeley somewhere (laughs) oh cool right now how fun (laughs) that's so cool man i you know i would have loved to have taken a class like that and I also find it really interesting from the perspective of like, what would, you know, you think when you, it's like the story behind, um, like the song glass onion where right. like Lennon had heard that, like there were classes being taught about Beatle lyrics and like, what does it all mean? And so it was like, well, let's give them something to think about. And they just wrote a bunch of bullshit that made no sense at all. <laughs> just with like random clues, you know, to, just to throw people off and freak them out. Yeah. Like how weird just to, to actually get to like sit and study that kind of stuff. Like it's, I mean, think, it's think of the big a, a ones like fun. that, that they were doing like come together, look at come together and the, the, the mumbo jumbo. Yeah. That just <laughs> flies out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Remembering like, the lyrics of that song is like damn near impossible. Right. After having like a beer. You, you, had, you know yeah. that if somebody calls it on the spot, it's like, can you play come together? You're like, well, I can I play it. Do this. I don't know how to sing it, but <laughs> I can't remember all the verses. Well, you know, as a counterpoint to that, um, what was that? Uh, we w- went to the Pretendi Theater and watched that documentary. What was that? Uh, was it one of the Deconstructing the Beatles series? No. Um, I'll have to look it up and see what it was. I can't remember Eight days what a it week? was. The Ron Howard one? Uh, yes, that's okay, what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So we went and saw that. It was, um, you know, I'm a more casual fan. We've established this already, um, but I'll repeat it for you today. Um, I'm a more casual fan. So it was really interesting to um, have the songs placed in the context of their lives right then. Like I vividly remember them talking about the song Help and what was actually happening in their lives right now and realizing like he was pleading for help. Like it's this isn't like a happy little pop song. I mean, it is a happy little pop song. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. turns into you. But he was like crying out for help. Like it was like such an emotional song. And I was like, oh my God, like I never even thought about it in that. Like it seems so silly to me now. <laughs> yeah. But I never thought about it in that specific context of like what was happening in his life and that this song actually had like a ton of emotion behind it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the one of the things that we we talked about. I know that came up not only in that class, but in some of my other songwriting classes. I mean, you know, you take songwriting classes over there. The, you're bound to talk about the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You're bound to talk about Lennon and McCartney. No. And their writing. No. And so <laughs> one of the things, especially with the lyrics, in one of my first lyric writing uh, classes, uh, Gaffney, Henry Gaffney, he's no longer with us, but he uh, he taught me, He one of the first things that he would pull out would be, um, he he talked about he would bring up help and he would say how help if you if you look at the lyrics just put the lyrics on the board mm-hmm. it is desperation going yeah. on mm-hmm. all right and and they've juxtaposed it to uh, this happy bubbly you know yep. uplifting song and then he he used the word called called. Prosody. I don't know if you ever heard that term before. Uh-uh. Prosody is supposedly marriage of music to lyric. Okay? okay. And so he says, he says, it's always good to have prosody with the music and the lyrics. However, if you're going to do have no prosody at all, you better make sure it's one spectrum to the other. And he would always bring up help for that reason. Yeah. yeah. He'd also bring up like in yesterday. In fact, I still use this to today. If I can't come up with words, he always he always mimicked yesterday and scrambled saying, eggs. you know, use use the scrambled eggs formula. He's <laughs> like, use the scrambled eggs formula. Just start singing words that don't make sense, so you can at least have a melody and at least a a, a pattern, yeah. so that you can put your lyrics to it later on down the road. Right. That's that, and that that's so funny how like things like that that are just you know stories you know just kind of along the line of this career that you know is so well known, but they're things that 
are proven that 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 work obviously you know mm-hmm. and i think and i think to, to to go back to help for a minute you know these songs are so they're so cemented and canonized that you forget that they're written by like human beings with real lives yeah. and real feelings absolutely and all of a sudden when you sit and look at some of the stuff it's like god like you've got a guy who's 24 25 years old is maybe the most famous and beloved person on the planet at that point. And he's also maybe the most insecure and misunderstood and like, holy hell, what a combination to, you know, for, for someone at that age mm-hmm. and you struggling know. with uh, abandonment by how many people, Oh yeah. You know, like so many things Yeah, and sort of like trying to navigate the world without like a parental figure to kind of mm. help guide him. You know, like so many of us have those parents that are like, we can go to, you know, people right. that have but lived. To, to take that one step further, he's he's trying to navigate not just, you know, the normal world that you and I would go run through. He's right. taught, he's navigating the world where he is the center of attention for he millions is the sun. upon millions of individuals. He is the sun to an entire universe at yeah. that point. Yes. <laughs> like everything revolves around him. And the other three, like, yeah, what it's Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot to carry. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's like inter- it was so interesting to just like put that song in the context of what was going on and just like have my mind blown. And I remember like turning to you like in the pretend theaters going like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. I really had like like a Keanu moment. I was like, whoa. Well, so one other thing I want to ask before we dive in here is, you know, as as a songwriter, as a musician, you know, how do you find that the Beatles have impacted your work? Well, I mean, just just starting alone from the structure of it itself, you know, mm-hmm. trying to come up with it. I've definitely used that influence of of, you know, the the made up words to try and get you through it. Mm-hmm. I've, it's shocking to me the number of people that after the fact learned about that and started using that for their writings. Right. Like for instance, I know Peter Gabriel did it all the time. Really? When yeah, he was trying to he was trying to figure I out exactly what he was going to do, and then he found out about scrambled. Right. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, and then you know, I think what they did for me was allow me to see that you could do it didn't just have to be straightforward four chords mm-hmm. and like i think especially the later stuff for me really really push that further you know i we have a couple of mutual friends that pick on me because when i write a song i've got you know four chord changes in the first first right. first uh, <laughs> first you know measure and they're and they sit there and go, what the hell are you doing mm-hmm. but you know for me it's i'm hearing all of the those guys had a real knack of being able to hear something and yeah. try to really try and they had great help <laughs> they had <laughs> tremendous help in figuring out how to get that sound mm-hmm. out of out of what they were hearing in their head and um you know, I think that to me alone was what shaped how I write songs. Yeah. In that, you know, I'm hearing the song as a whole, not so much as just here's the chords, here's the melody, here mm-hmm. are the words, here's the hook that's underneath it, here's the hook that's underneath it. I like it. I think that's kind of the way I try to write in my own in my own work. I kind of f- feel like I approach it the same way. Um, and it's funny because I always tend to be more of like, I go for less chords than say, than you may, or then, you know, my partner in the Breton sound, Steven may have who like, he wants as many chords and changes and, you know, wants to move through different, you know, modes and things that confuse the hell out of my simple little brain. Right. You know, <laughs> but I can still hear kind of the overall idea of what I want the finished thing to sound like, you know? Right. And I think that's definitely something that I also kind of attribute to being raised on the Beatles as a as a musician. Yeah, I mean, think of it back in the day when they were putting out, you know, there's a couple of bands, like I can think of the Beach Boys as an example, but like there's not a whole lot outside of those two mm-hmm. that were really putting together such vast amounts of material that had such 
massive productions like that. Right. Well, you're hearing all these different things coming through <clears throat> versus, you know, and there, I, I attribute that to songwriting. I, you know, somebody will say that that's, a, that's arranging and whatnot. But like, to me, I think arranging is still part yeah, of the yeah, song. You still want to be able to convey what exactly your, the message is of the song. It mm -hmm. goes deeper than just here's the four chords and here's, here's the lyric and here's the melody. Right on. So I think that's how, that's how the Beatles, to sum it up, that's how the Beatles influenced me. I love it. I love it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. How about that? <laughs> that was Stick great. that ad money in there, baby. Yeah. Woo! Give me them pennies. <laughs> so are you ready to dive into the pool of the rankings? Sure. We've, t we've touched on such depth already. It's only appropriate that we're going to deal with maybe two of the most inconsequential songs in the catalog today. <laughs> I'm pretty excited I, about see, this. See, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I think when we get when we get to 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 the second one, I'm I'm not sure that you and I feel the same Ooh. way about it. Okay, 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 okay. Well, let's let's hop in then, if you would, Justin. Please give me a drum roll, my friend. Come in at number two oh nine is Her Majesty. Ba, 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 ba. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. My majesty's a pretty nice girl. Yeah, I like that. I want to get, I, that's nice. I want to get it like that. That was perfect. I want to do like an Oprah. Her majesty. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. <laughs> so here's a brief history on Her Majesty for our listeners who may not be up to speed on it. Her Majesty is a song written by Paul McCartney sometime in late 1968 made its first appearance during the Get Back Sessions in January of 1969, the famous Winter of Our Discontent. Uh, it seems to exist at this point as just something Paul's kind of noodling around on between takes. Uh, Ringo can fall in on the drums. John's doing a little bit of kind of trying to figure out how to play slide guitar on it. it some bootlegs exist. It's nothing worth tracking down, but I'll probably have it embedded under this part of the podcast. <laughs> Paul revisits it later in the year during the Abbey Road sessions, and it's slated to appear in the Side 2 medley, uh, which at the time had a working title of The Long One. They're really, you know, pulling out all the stops at this point. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's slated to appear between Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam. Uh, he tracks it by himself uh, in three takes, all three of which are available on the Abbey Road 50th Anniversary box set. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sticking that plug in. Cha-ching. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> Uh, so once so they tack it in between me, Mr. Mustard, Polythene, Pam. Once they get to the rough mix stage of the album and they listen back to the entire medley, uh, Paul decides Her Majesty doesn't quite fit in the medley and asks their engineer, John Curlander, to throw it away. Curlander doesn't quite know what to do because EMI has a don't throw away anything by the Beatles policy. Uh, so he tacks it on to the end of the master tape about 14 seconds after the last notes of the end and inadvertently invents the hidden track. Genius. Genius. Who knew? Genius. Um, Except not really hidden. Yeah. Well, so on the first <laughs> pressings of the record, well, on the first pressings of the record, it, the track name wasn't listed on the on the back of the album. On the it, LP? Yeah. It was only on the second pressing and forward that they went back and, and put it on there. Oh, oh then that, that means I have a later pressing. Yeah. So most of us do, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Okay, it's like a 28-second song. Super short. Um, I think, Paul, I think that, I think that the, the decision was right to pull it from the medley. Um, I don't think it really lends anything to the medley. And if anything, that part of the record is so full of good band performances. To jump to a solo moment, I think, kind of sucks the energy out of that whole section. Um, and it's it's also so it's a bit it's a bit jarring to move to that, but it's also jarring the way that it starts at the end of the record with that first note crash from the end of Mean Mr. Mustard, uh, which is kind of fun too. Um, it's kind of a lighthearted bit of pseudo commentary about the monarchy. Uh, it kind of takes the piss while never really taking the jab that you kind of think it should or that it wants to. Um, 
it's also one of those great kind of McCartney doodly doodly do medleys that he's just so good at, at writing. Um, <laughs> and kind of the precursor to the thing that he kind of doubles down to on the first McCartney album and then on the first Wings uh, album, Wildlife. Um, he's just great at doing these great little like acoustic finger picking, you know, whistly melodies that are just so damn catchy. Even though, he's, like, he's he's good at being whimsical and impish. Yes, <laughs> this is quite whimsical and impish. Um, yeah, I love it. I think uh, one of the other cool things about it is it really showcases some really adept finger picking. Like, as far as like his oh, yeah. playing on it is really solid, and oh, like yeah. it's no secret. That's at this probably point, the only reason why you got twenty five seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> like at this point, it's no secret that, you know, in their career that he's as equally talented a guitarist as John and George. Um, and with this song and songs like Blackbird and I Will and Mother Nature's Son really shows that like he has developed into like a top flight guitarist. Oh, yeah. um, and so for what it kind of ends up as, you know, which is basically just a little coda, I think it's great for that. Um, I'm glad they took it out of the medley. I think it works better as a coda and it almost serves as kind of like a bridge to like, if he gets the last word on Abbey road, which is like the last recorded album, if he gets the last word on that. And then the next thing you hear from him is the first McCartney album. That is the bridge from like the super production of Abbey road to the lo-fi home production of the first McCartney. Yeah, I never thought about that. That is that bridge right there. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it was the right move to take it out. I do think it kind of sucks the air a little bit out of like the regal finale of the end. You mm-hmm. know, when you're finishing with, you know, the love you take is equal to the love you make. You get this big, beautiful, like orchestral moment, and you like that's a fitting place for that record to end. Like that is the period to this amazing career. And then you get this little doodly thing and a doodly doodly doodly. <laughs> um, so it kind of sucks the air from that moment a little bit, but it almost is kind of like that's very beatly to like not be super serious about it. Correct. So as much Correct. as I kind of like maybe wish it wasn't there sometimes, I'm also kind of okay with it. So those are see, my I, two cents on it. What do you, how do you I, see it? I, I think that in terms of songs, for some of the reasons that you've already said, I think it's one of the better better songs than definitely some of the ones that I know that are coming up later on the list. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you have told me I this. would have definitely put this up a lot higher. One of the first things I told you, man, was that I, you know, the crown completely missed out, and they should have used this as their uh, uh, theme song. <laughs> Twenty five seconds, very simple, very yes. quick. Yes. You're in and you're out. I mean, you know, but of oh, course. Oh, man. Yeah. Can somebody uh, recut the intro to The Crown with just this song? I think that would be <laughs> right? it's very, like, <laughs> so the intro sequence is very dramatic. <laughs> exactly, which is why it works. Yeah. You know? I... Her Majesty's a pretty nice guy. <laughs> so doesn't good. Love to it's like Benny Hill. I mean, come on. It'd be perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. I'm gonna, so I'm going to put out a request to our listeners. If anybody can recut the opening scene to The Crown <laughs> with the Beatles, Her Majesty on it. We will gladly blast it across our social media oh, yeah. empire. I'll do it yeah, too. To our massive reach. <laughs> to our massive reach of followers. <laughs> our tens of followers. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, aside from that, like, I, I understand what you're saying about about how it, did, it doesn't fit right between uh, me, Mr. Mustard, and Polythene Pam. And I was, I kept going back and forth with it because, to be honest with you, until you posted this the other day, I never knew that that's where it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then I went, okay, I need to go check this out. And sure enough, I listened to it. I went, you know, he's got a point. It does it does get weird. It does sort of take suck some of that energy out. And you just right around you, you the corner, it's all big and it's all moving and everything. And they just jump right into Golden Slumbers. And if you didn't have Golden Slumbers in that mix, I can see how that would have stayed. Yeah, because you would, because you need that kind of quiet moment, and this would Correct. be it. But I think this is not. While it is the quiet moment, it's not the quiet moment that that kind of massive section needs. No, like it's not that kind of like forlorn, introspective, you know, moment, so to speak. Yeah, this is a little too campy. Like it. Yeah. The quiet moment yeah. needs to be a little heavier, a little more somber, kind of. Yes. When you put it in in the middle of powerful songs, you don't want. You know. Right. <laughs> it's a little I think this one goes higher for me on the list too, because when I was younger, so my mom's British, mm-hmm. so 
we would when my dad and I were like goofing around and stuff, we'd sing that song with like the worst Cockney accent ever. Can we get a little bit? It has a little bit more of a sentimental memory to me. Can we can we get a, a revisit? Uh, the twenty twenty uh, update. No. <laughs> <laughs> well done, my friend. Imagine these pretty nice girls, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Imagine <laughs> pretty nice girls chase from day to day. Want to tell that love a lot, but I gotta get belly full of wine. Imagine these pretty nice girls, they ain't gonna make a mind. Oh yeah, man, gonna make a mind. <laughs> I'd like to direct all of our listeners from the United Kingdom to please direct all hate mail to Justin Mobilson. <laughs> No, it's okay, I'm half British. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so good. Oh my goodness. Have you had had you heard the Chumbawamba version until your prep for this? Because I had. No. And no. I was floored by it. <laughs> Which by the way it's is amazing. So good. <laughs> Someday I'm gonna make her mine. Her majesty is a pretty nice girl, but she never does a thing for me. Her majesty is a pretty nice girl, but she keeps the worst company. All the lords and the ladies in waiting, all crawling in the dirt like swine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but I hope she's the end of the line. Oh yeah, I hope she's the end of the line. Her Majesty's living in a land of curses, a world of bluish blood and Nazis. Yeah. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but I think she ought to call it a day. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl without one good reason to stay. I'd like to take her for a whiskey or two, but I've got a lot of things to do. Her Majesty's a throwaway song, just short of a chorus or two, oh yeah, short of a chorus or two. A world of corgis and inbreeding, the royal corpse is barely breathing. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl with a circus for a family. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she's stuck with the royal weed. I'd like to show around the center of town, but I haven't got a copy for her feet. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she's pretty much obsolete. Oh yeah, she's pretty much obsolete. You know, it's, it's very salty. It's very salty, <laughs> and I feel like it's almost what I feel like it's what the song would have been like if Paul had said, "If Paul had said, John, come help me with this song." Right. Like yeah. it have take because that that doesn't just take the piss like that shoves a knife in like that's oh, yeah. a salty bitch version right there. Yeah. And oh, it's yes. but it's 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 funny <laughs> like it's got that like kind of Lennon kind of humor to it. Um, and what's okay? What's the the there, last the last verse is like just fantastic to end it. Yeah, talking about how it's just this throwaway. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I will include the link for that song in our show notes. I highly suggest. Um, for those of you who only know Chumbawamba for the song Tub Thumping, you're not alone. I knew no other, tu- no other Chumbawamba songs until I knew of their cover of Her Majesty, yeah. uh, yesterday. I actually thought it was someday. Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. Well, I thought it was Chumbawamba by Tub Thumping this, this time. Until it is kind of confusing. Chumbawamba, hold on a second. And they were anarchists. Wasn't that yeah, their thing? I don't know. I think that was their whole bag was like they were anarchists or something like that. Hmm. Who knows? So... I've got Her Majesty at 209. You disagree? Mm-hmm. Where would you have it on yours? Oh, definitely. Ballpark I mean, it. some of the some of the more avant-garde stuff that they were doing, especially like during the White Album or whatnot, I think fall well below this. Well below this. Okay. Okay. Not going to lie. We'll agree to disagree. Because <laughs> we're here at 209 going to 208, and uh, Revolution 9 and What's the New Mary Jane are nowhere near the pile yet. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I figured they might not be. Keeping it artsy if for all my artsy friends. these were this far down, I figured they were far up. Far <laughs> up. I love it. So being that that's such a, a short song, we're doing a two for here. We got a little bit of Whimsical Paul, and we've talked about the, the depth of the writing capacity of John Lennon. Mm. Now we're going to the improv skills of Mr. John Lennon circa 1969. Coming fantastic. in at number 208, we've got Dig It. I 
So, a little bit of story on Diggit. Now, the original idea for the Get Back project, the one that became Let It Be, uh, was to basically do a live in-studio album. As John put it, they didn't want any of George Martin's production crap, uh, and they wanted this to be kind of a view, uh, you know, kind of a, a vantage point of the Beatles with their pants down, so to speak. Um, he see, and he seems to kind of follow this trend of no pants for a little bit at this point, between that and the Two Virgins album cover. Right. So exactly. Kind of had a thing no, against pants. No pants. Waka, no waka, pants waka. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Ugh. I wrote that down in my notes. I was uh, like, that's a winner. Yeah, that's shameful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... If you listen to let it, the Let It Be tapes, and there are like hundreds of hours of tapes from these sessions, um, there's a ton of really kind of aimless and uninspired jams, and you can tell that there's a there. It's not that you're hearing them fight on the tape, but you're hearing the effect of that disillusionment in their plane and kind of in that camaraderie where like. When they're not like focused on the song and they're just kind of fucking around, it's just not quite there, you know? No, not at all. And they're not a jam band by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, they're a <laughs> song band. So at some point during this noodling, John kind of starts playing around on a little three-chord kind of twist and shout progression, but in a 6-8 tempo, which, again, is not really a jam tempo, you know? Um and he starts kind of throwing out lyrics from the chorus of Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. And then from there, everyone kind of falls into this, I guess we'll call it a groove. <laughs> um, and John just keeps throwing out non sequiturs and names and things. Um, and the first time they do it, I think it goes on for about 15 minutes. Um, Linda McCartney's daughter Heather is there. And uh, she gets a hold of a microphone and proceeds to just go, ah, for like the whole time. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging listen, to say the least. I don't know how this one isn't below Her Majesty. <laughs> well, we're not, we're not going to say. We're not to the. I know the, they're close. We're getting to the final product. But, I mean, we'll get to the final product. <laughs> so they actually kind of dive into this jam several times over the span of a few days. Um, which, one, takes away kind of the impromptu fly-on-the-wall aspect of it. Um, you know, and so at some point when they finally get to, like, compiling the album, uh, Glenn Johns edits it down to about a four-and-a-half-minute version um, and puts it in the album. And ultimately, this proposed album track list gets rejected. Glenn also adds John's little... That was Can You Dig It bit from another session uh, to the end of that to create the ultimate, you know, impromptu fly on the wall bit. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so it kind of lingers around while the, the, while the whole project is in just kind of limbo for a while. Now, interestingly, at one point, uh, a get back session version of Maxwell's Silver Hammer was pressed onto a seven inch acetate disc with the four minute version of Dig It on the flip side. Uh, suggesting the idea that this was maybe floated as a single at one point. Um, it doesn't seem to go anywhere other than just like this one pressing happened. So maybe it wasn't a single idea. Maybe just somebody wanted a copy of those two things. Who knows? Um, it doesn't go any further than that. So then when Lennon brings in Phil Spector to finish the project, he edits down the four minute version into what we have on the record. And he actually wipes a Paul vocal from Dig It where Lennon's calling out, you know, like a Rolling Stone, and Paul's going, doop, 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 doop. he's doing kind of his thing. They just cut that out, because at that point, they're not talking. So John gets the last word and gets Paul out of digging. Yeah. So if you are interested in hearing the alternate creation of Dig It, it's all over YouTube. Um, so here's kind of the reason why I have a little bit higher than Her Majesty. First off, I'm going to preface this by saying, fuck Phil Spector. <laughs> He's a fucking yeah, monster. Thank you. But the dude had a great fucking ear, and he found, like, the best 45 seconds of that nine-minute jam. And it's this little bit right here on the record, where they're actually kind of tight. Billy Preston's organ's doing some nice movements, and it feels like they're actually jamming. Like, it feels like they're just putzing around in the studio and it's great um, 
And I think that is the one moment in that bit that makes it salvageable is that it's a, it's a band performance. Um, and I tend to always err on the side of a band performance versus a solo performance. Um, now, I also, I kind of remember, you know, the first time I heard this wondering because the song fades in and fades out. And I remember wondering to myself, you know, I, gotta, I really want to know what goes on before and what goes on after. But then when I heard it, I was kind of like, cool, glad I heard it. Don't need to hear it again because it's pretty uninspired. And it's, you know, again, jamming is not their strength. I think the best thing that they could do with it was just make it kind of a transitional piece between tracks um, instead of trying to make it something, you know, more than what it should have been. Well, for me, you know, you know what I find interesting about it is that, you know, I'm going back to that time frame when they're, I mean, they had to really dig to get this. Yeah. You follow mm-hmm. and like, if they're not, you're right. They're not, they're not even like, no one's communicating. On this. Yeah. Everybody's sitting there and they're already thinking about, they're like, we just have to put this last record out and we're done. Okay. And they're all right. Lennon's writing the other stuff that he wants to release. McCarty's writing all the stuff that he wants to release. Those other two don't know what the hell they're doing, but they're pretty sure that they're <laughs> going to start writing some more material. And the last <laughs> thing they want to do is put it on a record that's not going to have George Martin on it doing what he does. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, it's one of those situations where I'm sitting there and I'm staring at it, I'm listening to it. And in fact, I went back and listened to it again. And then I went back and I listened to the full version. And I'm like, it's rough. It's yeah. just rough. They're you know, playing that's just, is not, just that's not that's not the Beatles. That's not what I think of when I think of the Beatles. Everything about is it is so, so is somebody awkward I, I saw somebody and put, clunky. Yes, yeah, somebody put it like it was like they had all atrophied in like yeah. their actual ability to play their instruments. Like there's no like nobody is, you know, a top flight professional, you know, guitarist or singer at that point, which is very strange for that band. You know. The only person that sounds decent, the only person that sounds decent is Billy Preston. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, even, and that's why you, you that's how, Ringo, probably why you got the 45 seconds of it because yeah. it's Billy Preston at his finest for 45 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I think even Ringo Which, seems you know, like it, he's trying me, to figure out where to go with it and doesn't know, you know, no one's reading each other in that way. No that, one's read, they're not even, that band they're not should even be like, able to read well, each I mean, other. Come on. You're not communicating at all with each other. You think you're going to get together and jam? Yeah. Please. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think one of the interesting things also is, you know, John came into that session at kind of a low point writing wise in terms of like number of songs, you know, Paul in 68, 69 is just cranking out great stuff left and right. You know, John brings in, don't let me down, but needs Paul needs Paul and George to help him finish the song. He's just got the chorus. He's just got the chorus. And so Paul and George really kind of finesse and mold that song, but John doesn't have a ton of material for this record. He's pulling up one after 909, which is one of their older songs from 1961. Um, So I almost feel like him kind of trying to push them through it, you know, multiple times over multiple days, he's trying to see if something's going to come out from this. Like, so to speak, can they polish that turd into, you know, a new song? Um, Right. And just not really, they're just, it, it feels almost like flailing when you listen to the whole track itself. Oh, like yeah. everyone's just grabbing at straws and no one's grabbing anything. So it's very, it, it's a weird listen to me. And I think just kind of whittling down to that, you know, 45 seconds or so was probably the best thing Phil Spector could have done, you know, for, for whatever oh, yeah. legacy dig it would have. Yeah, and it's also interesting to me, like, it is a very short song, but there are a lot of words crammed in there, and he says absolutely nothing. <laughs> like, like nothing makes sense. Like, there's no statement, there's no nothing. And for someone, as we talked about earlier, you know, the did he write, he wrote Help? Yeah. You know, like, the per- the same person that wrote Help and, like, all these other great songs who has entire classes taught about his songwriting. Did this ever get approached in the class? Did y'all talk about no. Dig It? No. Uh-uh. I'm not going to lie. He barely even touched this this album. Huh. Barely even touched yeah. it. I think he picked, picked uh, one or two and then moved on. Because at that point, 
he was spent he was trying to focus on all of the things that he was doing on the solo projects and the Yodo band and all that stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, it, this this was one of those that I, I could have cared less if it got talked about to be quite honest with you. I think, you know, one of the things that I find I guess one of the things that I was kind of thinking about with this song is that, you know, looking at the duality between Diggit and Her Majesty is like by this kind of ballpark time, Paul's realized that he can pretty much be a self-contained creative entity. He can play guitar. He can play bass. He can play drums. He can sing all the vocal parts. He's hearing, like we talked about, he's hearing the whole finished track Mm -hmm. when he brings it in there, you know, and John, that's never been John's thing. John needs a team. He needs a partner. Um, you know, Paul can go in and knock out three takes of Her Majesty, and it's fine. It's great. It's done. You know, John is kind of at this point, you know, grabbing at straws and pulling the other guys with him, like, to desperately try to find something. And, you know, I think this is very much showing, like, he's relying on a partner. And there are parts of it where they seem a little more engaged on certain takes, like sometimes like George is shout is kind of throwing out different responses. You know, sometimes Paul is, um, but you can tell like, they're just not finding that symbiotic groove with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think John, you're seeing with John that like, and he's just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. And, you know, it's showing that I think he really, he's looking for someone to pull or to, he's looking to pull people with him, whether it's the band or Yoko, or you know Phil Spector, you know once he's on well, his and own, then, and then take a look at some of the some of the more avant-garde stuff that he was doing that kind of proves that point that that he was going on that direction. He mm-hmm. was going towards wanting to sort of throw things out at different people and see what would what he could pull from it by throwing some things out there. And even in making, oh yeah, sorry. Me, meanwhile, McCartney, McCartney's over there, and he's you know. He's trying to piece together his solo record. He's trying to piece together a ring, a, a, a wings band, you know, and he's mm-hmm. trying to formulate what he hears, what he hears. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would wager, and I don't know cause I haven't done the research, but I would re- wager that for the McCartney songs, McCartney would go to George and say, you know, th- this is what I'm hearing. And George would say, yeah, I can hear that too. Let's throw a little bit of this in here. Whereas with Lennon, he's probably holding his hand a little bit more yeah. to get him to where he wanted to get. I mean, it's, e- it's even in the movie where, you know, they're playing um they're playing two of us and you know george is trying to play little uh you know kind of responses and paul's telling him you know don't do that i want you to play basically he wants him to play the bass part on the guitar on the guitar right. yeah and there's this there's this argument in the in the let it be movie where you know they're kind of going back and forth real quietly and george goes look i'll play whatever you want me to play i won't play at all Whatever it is that will please you, I'll do it. Because Paul, at this point, is he's told him not to play on "Hey Jude," and he, I mean he's very much dictating, you know, what people play, and that's causing a lot of problems going forward. But at this point, the dude hasn't been wrong. <laughs> like, no, like he just uh-uh. he's he's batting a thousand. <laughs> like you can't argue with mm-hmm. those results. So, yeah. So that's kind of my perspective on it. You know, one of the things I think to to wrap up kind of my thoughts on dig it. Um, I, I enjoy cause that little bit of sound, that little bit of time that we get of it, it sounds like a band performance, but it also kind of makes me sad for what the project itself like could have been, you sure. know, like an idea of like, here's a look behind the curtain at the world's greatest rock band making their new record. Here they are, you know, jamming and having a great time together in the studio. But instead you're seeing the, dying corpse of what was once the greatest band, you know? So it, it, for that, it makes me a little bit sad. Um, that's why I, I have it here at two Oh eight. What do you think? Where would you put it? Probably further down, further down, probably right after, uh, honestly, probably right after, um, all I've heard thus far is the German ones and, and, uh, I would say right after the German ones. I, th- I really don't like the song. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the best things I've found for, is that at some point they released sheet music for this song. Oh. <laughs> I've only Ew. seen like a That's super. Disgusting. <laughs> I've seen like a super oh. old low res scan of sheet music. You know, it's, it, it's, you know what sh- old sheet music looks like. It's just, it's a black cover with dig it. 
Words and Music by John Lennon, oh, Paul yeah. McCartney, George Harrison, oh, yeah. Ringo Starr. And then you open it up, and there's the staffs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> there's the lyrics, like the FBI for Count Rest and the CIA for Count I'm just like, wow. Yeah. You know, and the thought was like, who's going to walk into a guitar center or a, a, whatever music store was around when they still sold sheet music Whirl in lines. stores? Who's going to walk into Whirl Lines and go, you know what? I've got five bucks to buy some... I want to learn to play a new song today. What am I going to learn? Hmm. Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. It's a jam. I don't know. All on the Watchtower, Hendrix? Eh, maybe not. Ooh, <laughs> dig it. That's the one I want dig to learn. It. I want to add that to that the arsenal. <laughs> Imagine like walking up to the counter and being like, um, excuse me, do you by any chance have the sheet music for the ticket? It's my favorite. This one guy's like, obscure track, man. I dig it. I like, I like the cut of your jib, pal. It's in the back, covered in four inches of dust. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think we've got a good consensus here. I've got 209, 208. Justin's like, throw him in the trash can. <laughs> throw but it in the trash can. Get I it going. It. I love it. Well, Justin, let's do some rapid fire questions. You got time for that? Sure. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Rapid fire. Here we go. Off the top of your head. Favorite Beatles song. Go. A Day in the Life. Ooh, okay. Least favorite Beatles song. Go. Uh oh. Uh, dig it. Lucy in the sky it. with diamonds. <laughs> Lucy in the sky with wow. diamonds. Wow. Okay. Okay. Bold choice. Pause the clock here. Uh, I'm curious as to why. Uh, I don't know. There are certain <laughs> songs that 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 happen that come to me and I hear and I just go, wow, that's I really just don't like that, and yeah. that's just one of them. I, Interesting. Something about the lyrics. Something about just the. The stupid structure of the song, and it's just <laughs> stupid it's, structure. I'm, stupid I'm just like, I'm like, all right, you know, whatever, you know. Cool, bro. Like, you like drugs. We get it. Yeah, I get it. You like drugs. Move on. <laughs> You're from the '60s, man. I get it. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Wait uh, a second. Wait a second. Do you mean to tell me <laughs> the the Beatles did drugs? Only on, only on uh, days that end in Y. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Valid. That's fine. Well done. Well done. Uh, favorite Beatles album? Uh, probably Revolver. Okay. I like it. Uh, this is always a tough one. Least favorite. The one you go for least. Meet the Beatles. Really? Oh, yeah, because you said you're not really into the... The earlier stuff. Now I got I got I got more into the later stuff than I did the earlier stuff. Now there's right. some tracks on there that I do like, mm-hmm. but if I'm if I'm thinking of like if I had my list, I could probably tell you it, I would rarely pull pull that one. Now, do you go for like the the UK pressings, kind of like the standard albums, or do you go more for the American versions of those? Well, for the ones that. I inherited from my dad. They're going to be the American pressing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think probably the American pressings, and that may only be because of familiarity to to those pressings. Like sure. knowing I'm so familiar with hearing it over years and years, decades now. Right. Of, you know, almost 40 years of my life. So I'm sitting here going, okay, that's probably, so I'd probably go with the American pressings. Okay, cool. Hi, moderate fan question here yes what's the difference okay so when the beatles would make a record very quickly right. don't nerd out <laughs> they were, beatles would record 14 songs for an album right in the uk emi would put out a 14 song album capital records was emi's american partner they would take those four those 14 songs they'd put maybe 10 or 11 on a record to keep three to the side then when the next album comes they take they put 10 songs from that album out Take four from those two from each album plus a couple other singles and have three albums for every two. Oh. So they yeah. would always mix up track listings in America. Weird. Up until Sgt. Pepper when they had the power to say Don't no do mas. That. Yeah. This is this a is a full no this is an art. Yeah. This is a work of art. Yeah. Leave it. And at that point the practice stopped. But also the mixes would be different because um there was a guy at Capitol who would basically coat all the records in like real thick heavy reverb huh so like did they do that for like multiple artists or um i just think to beatles? some extent they did well not well okay so i can't Who say for sure it to? because there I mean, weren't really other 
British acts coming through mm-hmm. on the same right. label at that point. Like the Stones were yeah. on Decca, who I think they came out through the States in Decca. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this was maybe one of the only ones that it happened to. Interesting. I'm, I'm right. now I'm going to look into that. I'm curious. So <gasps> there's something you don't know. There's plenty I don't know. <laughs> plenty I don't know. I stumped them, people. You got me. <laughs> Uh, all right, my favorite rapid fire question of the show: Your favorite memory associated with a Beatles song? Uh, probably the one that I was talking about earlier, singing "Her Majesty" in a Cockney accent to my <laughs> with my dad yes. as the, as a little kid. I mean, uh, how can that not be my favorite? You know, yeah, uh, memory of, of of a Beatles song. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what's your mom's reaction when you do that? Oh, stop it! Stop it. Oh, stop, stop it. it. Oh, stop it. That sounds like Monty Python. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I, I lived in a Monty Python universe. That's great. <laughs> it was my mom who had a British accent and spoke at that pitch. And then me and my dad running around with Cockney accents just being complete dicks. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Justin, this has been a whole lot of fun, my friend. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Excellent, man. We will have you back as we work our way through the the hundreds of songs still left to go. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm down. But put me up somewhere closer to, you know, like 109. Gotcha. Okay, we can do that. Okay. We can do that. <laughs> uh, before... I like that people are putting, like, specific requests. Like, someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it uh, Dave asked for, like, one... 171 or something. <laughs> so you got to give me 171. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what that is. So we got to like make little post-its. Right. For, for the desk. Like call back Justin for 109. Oh, 109. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, uh, I know you're not playing much right now because ain't nobody playing right now. But anything going on you want to throw a plug in? Anything coming up? Uh, I'm in the process right now of um, piecing together the an EP. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it may be an EP. It may just be a bunch of singles that get released kind of consecutively. I haven't decided on that yet. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, got a few songs. Got to write a couple with our buddy Paul. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting in the studio here shortly with those guys. Uh, nice. I've now got the band, the project, as we call it. Beautiful. And, uh, and uh, you know, following after Alan Parsons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. We, uh, I've got now got the band and uh, I, it's good. It's good. We're 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 working slowly but surely. It's gonna be. It's gonna sound different than the stuff I've put before. I mean, yeah. John, you remember the stuff I was putting out before? I moved total back crap. To New Orleans, so. Total crap. <laughs> a bunch of crap. Bunch of hard rock crap. That was horrible. <laughs> where uh, where can our listeners hear your past and future? So tunes? you should at some point be able to catch this on you know your streaming outlets and whatnot. But you can also go on. Um, my webpage, justinmolasonmusic.com. No, justinmolasonmusic.com, excuse me. Or okay. you can go find me on the Facebooks and the interwebs and all the other social medias at justinmolasonmusic. Beautiful, Justin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That needs to be a jingle. You know, I, uh, so real quick. M-O-L-A-I-S-O-N, Justin Molasson Music. You're welcome. Kyle and I have something in common in that we both named their publishing companies after hair songs. Does yours get mispronounced? songs. <laughs> See, he was joking because he always, people used to always say Malongkongs when they would read Malongkongs. <laughs> Malongkongs. <laughs> I love it. Well, Justin, thank you, my friend. This has been a blast. I've had a great time talking with you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Predices. Hey, you're welcome. We will talk is to you Is it pre The pre-tie. Yes, that is the, the, the preferred form. nomenclature. <laughs> <laughs> yes, P-R-E-T-I-I. <laughs> Actually, I was. We were on a group text today that was called pre-tie. With, uh, That's fantastic. With somebody, I was like, fancy. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, all right, y'all. Thank fine. you. All right, bro. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Justin. See you soon. Bye, Bye y'all. Justin Molison, everybody. Yeah. Good fun. Yes. Good fun. I love the singing. Yeah. The accent <laughs> to his mom. That's precious. That's pretty great. Yeah. I. Uh, I. I think you know. He's got some interesting points about about where I think the, compositionally where John and Paul are at that point in time is pretty uh, pretty eye opening conversation. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I hope you did too. I did. Do you feel like you learned more today? I did. Every episode, 
I'm learning so Putting much. Putting that knowledge in your ear. Well, I feel like I don't want this podcast to just be for like people like you who right. know everything. Neither do I. Um, so I feel like when I'm completely lost on something like the different pressings, mm-hmm. I like to ask about it so yeah. that we understand us moderates. We're not just for the hardcores here. We're for everybody. Yay! We're for we are an inclusive, for the people. loving, happy place. I like it. For the people. For the people. I love it. Wonderful. Well, if you have enjoyed this show, I hope you'll drop us a line at rankingthebeatles at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at rankingthebeatles. Uh, leave comments on all of our posts. Like us on the social medias. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast place. Feel free to tell Jonathan he is wrong. Tell me I'm wrong or <laughs> tell me I'm right. Whatever you feel like. There's no right or wrong here. It's just a whole bunch of fun. Yes. Anyhow, my friends, this has been a whole lot of fun. My name is Jonathan. I'm Julia. This has been Ranking the Beatles. We'll see you next week. Adios. Bye, friends.